grab a seat. Uh, we're going to have the privilege of speaking to God now. We're going to uh, spend time in prayer. Jeanette's going to lead us in that. And then straight after that, Charles, if you want to come up, we're going to look at uh, the Bible in just a moment. We'll go back to Psalm 19. But before we do, we should get the kids' activity sheets out. Um, so uh, Joss is going to come around with those. And I'll talk briefly about them uh, in a moment. There was one other prayer point that Jocelyn just learnt of uh, this morning and didn't get a chance to get to Jeanette. And that's that um, for those who remember the suitors um, and are in Bible study with the suitors, uh, Oliver is having corrective hand surgery um, on Thursday. And uh, so, yeah, it's for, we've got to pray for pain management and a good recovery. Um, he's going to have to start term one and not have a good writing hand. So that's also going to be really frustrating for him. So I might take a moment now to pray for him and, uh, and just bring him to God. Lord God, uh, we do pray too this week for Oliver's operation, that uh, you would guide the surgeons and that they would have wisdom in looking after him. We pray, Heavenly Father, for his um, pain that's going to come from that, that they'll be able to manage it well, um, that he'll recover well enough and quickly enough that he can start term, and that uh, you'll be looking after him across this term when it's going to be so frustrating to not have a writing hand. Um, we pray, Heavenly Father, that that family will continue to be encouraged by the gospel and uh, nourished by your word and um, yeah we pray for your love and care for them in jesus name amen i should have also mentioned that the uh, the grahams have flooded in but that's another story entirely um just before i start so kids if you get the sheet you'll notice that there's a, a kid's notes sheet i just thought i'd bring that to your attention particularly today if you're an older kid and you're good at keeping track of words and records um, you can write down what songs we sang today and who's on, on the music team. Um, you might want to write something about your favourite song, but particularly the tally down the bottom. I've done a word search on my sermon. I know how many times I say different words. I'd love to know if I got my tally compared to what I actually say up front, whether you, you get it right. Um, and if you want two extra words to keep track of, I reckon listen and forgive or forgiveness. So if you want to listen, listen out for listen or listening, and forgiving or forgiveness there's two extra words you can keep an eye out for i think i have a box with some lollies i used recently in the kitchen and i will pull them out um, for people who put a little effort into that one see how we go all right so one uh, the big question today is that does god say enough does god communicate enough to us um at our house uh we find sometimes as parents we don't quite communicate enough when we're teaching people to do stuff. For example, in the kitchen, you're teaching people to do things for the first time. Uh, there was one time when someone was learning the first time how to cook rice in the rice cooker. And so they were given the instructions. The first instruction was to measure, take the, the, the bowl out of the rice cooker. And then the next instruction was to, to measure out the number of cups that we needed. And then the next instruction was to take those and put them in the rice cooker. And so we, the, the person did it very diligently, poured in all that rice into the rice cooker. Needless to say, we needed to get a new rice cooker. <laughs> You've got to be really clear in your communication. You've got to get it right. So that was the kids in the kitchen stuff. And it's really important whether God is a clear communicator for us. So this morning we're looking at a very simple psalm, Psalm 19. Its structure is simple. Its message is straightforward. But it just has these huge ramifications because it speaks to us about can God keep people in other countries who've never heard about Jesus 
Can he hold them accountable for what, how they live and with their relationship with him? Or when our society is debating ethics, what's the right thing to do and the right way to live, do Christians have a place to speak into that? Really, really helpful stuff that we're going to be thinking about because this psalm is all about how God speaks. It says that God speaks to everyone through his creation, but he also speaks good, wise words directly to his people. And it's by that speech that he makes a conversation possible, that we can actually turn around and speak to him. That's where we're going. Um, How about I pray? Heavenly Father, do speak to us this morning about how you speak. Please open our eyes and open our ears and most importantly, open our hearts that we could respond to what you say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Psalm 19, hopefully you've got it there. It begins insisting that God speaks to everyone, that that God is communicating to every living creature constantly through his creation. The psalm belongs to David, the famous king of God's people Israel, and David tells us to look up, look at the sky, because whether it's day or night, the brilliance of the sun or the beauty of the stars, they're all speaking to us about who God is, his glory. Have a start at the beginning. For the director of music, a psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. The heavens are speaking, but as we thought about it before, they do it wordlessly. Initially, that seems really strange to say. How can you communicate wordlessly? But the thing is, wordless communication is multilingual. The message is heard everywhere by everyone. Whether you're a farmer in France or an astrophysicist in Korea, as you look at the sky, you can't escape this message. The heavens tell you God is and he is awesome. Verse 3, they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Now, this is a really radical message for the people of David's day. See, they looked at the sky and they saw gods, the moon, the sun. Remember, the Egyptians, they worshipped the sun god Ra, and and the Greeks and the Romans after them, they worshipped Jupiter and Mars and Venus. But Israel saw things differently. The sun, it's not divine. It's a creature like us. And it's a creature God cares for. He gives it a place and a path and a task. And in fact, its task is to care for us. It's just a very different picture of the world. Listen listen to verse 4. End of verse 4. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other, and nothing is deprived of its warmth. Did you realize that this is the worldview that makes science possible? I mean, other religions wouldn't investigate the sky scientifically because it's the home of the gods. But the Christians and Jews... Their perspective on the world encouraged investigation. Not only is the sun something created and not divine, and so you can investigate it, according to Psalm 19, the more we learn about the sun, the more glory God should get. 
because he made it. And so the more we learn, the more we, uh, we're impressed, and the more we should give God the glory. Which, of course, doesn't necessarily happen. Two scientists investigate the sun. One sees the amazing evidence of an intelligent creator, and the other sees a, a meaningless ball of gas. Does that disprove Psalm 19? No. Psalm 19 says God is speaking. That doesn't mean that people are listening. So I just thought I'd pick this up a little bit. Um, Romans 10, verse 16. Romans 10. Paul is struggling with the fact that many Israelites, many of God's chosen nation, they're rejecting faith as the way to be right with God. They thought you were right with God by following rules, not through Jesus' death on a cross. And so Paul asked the question, is the problem that the Israelites didn't hear about Jesus? This is his question. Did they not hear? Now, he could go back to any number of events. He could go to all these prophets in Israel's history. He could go back to Mount Sinai and remember God speaking through Moses or the tablets or the voice from heaven. But what does Paul remember? He remembers Psalm 19. He says the Israelites had been hearing the gospel, the word of Christ, all along through creation. Read from Romans 10, verse 16. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did, says Paul, and he quotes Psalm 19. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. According to Romans 10, God is speaking the gospel and he's speaking it through creation. Now, why do I take the time to unpack that? Because it has big implications. I don't know if you've ever struggled with that question. What about people who've never heard about Jesus? Can God really judge them? Would he really send them to hell? I think Psalm 19 helps us to answer that question. I'm not saying it's an easy answer. I, I, I wrestle with it. But God does seem to be very clear about this. I'll go to Romans 1 verse 20. Because there Paul insists that who God is is written in plain sight for everyone to see. He may be invisible, but what he's made shows what he's like. Romans 1 verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. That's hard to hear, isn't it? We like to think most people are innocent, ignorant about who God is, in which case their ignorance would be God's fault. He's not speaking. He's not being clear enough. But the fault isn't on God's side, it's on ours. We're stubborn hearers. Every person has clear evidence of God's existence, but we reject it. And in fact, Paul goes on to say, we end up worshipping God's messengers. We go into temples, whether they're Buddhist or Hindu, and there's all these statues that look like animals and people. They worship the creator, not the created, the cre created things, not the creator. Listen to verse 20. So that people are without excuse, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, 
and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. This all fits with Psalm 19. God speaks to everyone through creation and so we're all without excuse. Other religions, they're not equal ways to God. They're evidence that we're really bad listeners. It's like my kids when we call them to dinner when they're playing Minecraft, you know? We just don't want to hear the message. We'd much rather keep going as we are. Let's be honest. Uh, you're in the midst of the lively debate and someone raises that question about what about people who haven't heard. Most of the time, it's not so much that they're concerned for the person in Africa or somewhere that hasn't heard the gospel yet. We're all longing for an excuse, aren't we? We're really hoping that we don't have to listen to God, that we can turn around and say, God, you've failed in communicating. You haven't made this clear and I have the reason to ignore you. We don't want to be accountable. So, Sorry, I've gone a bit off track from this psalm, but I hope you see the relevance. Psalm 19 insists that God speaks and he speaks to everyone through his creation. That's a good thing in Psalm 19, but it also means there's no excuse. Okay, where does Psalm 19 go next? Well, David says God doesn't just speak through creation, he speaks to it. He doesn't just speak through creation, he speaks to it. God speaks personally. Have a look at verses 7 to 9, because the tone changes and it gets a lot more personal. Back in verses 1 to 6, David speaks of God. But in verses 7 to 9, he refers to the Lord. In the original language, this is the, the personal name Israel has for God, Yahweh. The name he gave Moses, the name he used at Mount Sinai. God doesn't just speak through creation, he speaks directly to his people and what the Lord says is good. Good because it makes sense, it's, it's perfectly refreshing, it's reliable wisdom, delightfully right, enlightening, unshakably just. What God says works because God is speaking to us about his world. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. So notice this is about more than just the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Uh, verse 9, it's, it's much more general. This is any time God speaks to his people. But whenever it is, God, what God says makes sense. In fact, that's what it means when it says that God's word are righteous or right. Because it's not like there's some external standard that you can measure God's words by, is it? There's no, some, no one sitting over God that can say, oh, he got that one right, or he got that one wrong. God's words are righteous and right because they fit his creation. They, they, they're helpful words. They're words that we need to hear. And so in verse 10, they're not just right, they are precious. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. It's actually something really strange that happens. You can, you, people have done studies to watch this sort of thing. 
when poor people become Christian, and assuming there's no persecution, on average they become more well-off, more middle-class, because their life improves. It's actually a really huge problem if you start a church in a poor area. You have to be really conscious of this, because what can happen is after a generation, you end up with a congregation of people that don't actually fit the community around them, because they've been trusting God. It's not a prosperity doctrine thing. I'm not saying that you know, God promises that if you follow him, you'll always become wealthy. I'm just saying that when people start listening to God's word, it leads to better relationships. People stop stealing and instead work hard. Uh, people find hope that leads, leads them to give up addictions to alcohol or um, gambling or smoking. Suddenly they're better off. Now, an implication of that is that Christians should be confident sharing the gospel even across cultures. See, God's word, the gospel, makes sense in every culture because it's God's word to all his creation. So Psalm 19 says, we live in a world that's screaming to us about God and it's actually more work to live in this world ignoring his word. You're actually fighting the tide than if you listen to him. So whether we're speaking to someone from down the road or a student visiting from Japan, be confident that the gospel should make sense to them. It is the words they need to hear. They may not want to listen. It might take some effort to communicate across cultural barriers, but this is a valuable word for them. It is so good. Now, that, that does put us in a difficult situation. I, I thought this really does speak into We've got lots of public debates going on at the moment, everything from human cloning, genetically modified food through to euthanasia, redefining marriage. To what does this say about us wanting to speak into those debates? Well, on one hand, as God's people, we're going to want to speak into it because we have wisdom from God for this world. We actually have knowledge from him that'll be helpful for people and so it's only right and caring to want to contribute to that debate and point people to what god has says that is good for his world his words are precious and right we care about the world we care about our neighbors we want to speak up but we've got to remember in psalm 19 god's words are precious to his people it's really significant how it switches to yahweh and the lord as the name these are the words of the Lord's people in relationship with him. Without that relationship, those words will often seem burdensome and hard. And so I don't think that means we want to be silent, but we just need to be aware how it's going to be felt by other people. And it means that as much as we want to speak to them about those, those issues of how to live well in God's world, we have got to keep talking about Jesus. If they don't have the relationship with God in Jesus, all the wisdom of God about the other things in this world are not going to be as helpful. Does that make sense? We want to keep speaking just as loudly about Jesus, and so we need to be wise in how we engage in these debates so that we ultimately point to Christ. Because what people need, what we need, is God's forgiveness. Uh, that's really interesting, the, the final ending to this psalm. You see, the goal of God speaking is this conversation. God wants us to speak back to him, but the way you have to do that is, as you hear God's word, you realise you need forgiveness. Uh, David, hears God's law, 
He realizes he sinned, and so he seeks God. Verse 11. By them, by God's word, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive or free me from my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent, or freed from great transgression. David wants his sin exposed so that he can be freed from it. He wants God to speak so that he realizes his sin and he seeks forgiveness. Because only then can he speak back to God. Finally, his words will please God. Verse 14. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I just think this is a great ending to this psalm. It reminds us that God speaks in a way that makes forgiveness possible. As we hear his word and he calls us, he says what's right, and we realize our lives really don't match up with that, his goal isn't to drive us away, but to invite us in. He offers us forgiveness. And so the wonderful moment is to hear from God speak. This is the immense privilege. Reading your Bible every day, God is not just inviting you to contemplate abstract words. He's inviting you into relationship so that you'll hear him speak and speak back to him. It's what we do in church, our whole church gatherings. It's all about God speaking to us through his word and responding to him. You notice that at the start of the service often, I'll, I'll pray a gospel prayer remembering who we are because we're forgiven in Jesus. Because that's how we then speak to him in prayer. That's how we sing to him. It's because he first spoke to us. The gospel speaks first. And that invites us to speak back to God. And so if you notice for sure hope, our our values as a church family, we started with being gospel-centered and Bible-focused. We want to be a group of people across this year, across every year, who are listening to God speak in the Bible and most clearly hearing him in the gospel, hearing him in the message about Jesus and his death for us. Because that's where Psalm 19 ultimately finds its fulfillment. This is why as you move into the New Testament, what we see in Jesus is what Psalm 19 was promising us. No wonder Hebrews says Jesus is God's full and final word to us. Because God is speaking. He speaks through his creation but he speaks especially to his people. He spoke as Jesus walked about and taught people. Jesus didn't just talk, he showed us what God is like. And God's word to us in Jesus ultimately makes forgiveness possible. He spoke to us to the point of death. He showed us that trusting God is the right thing to do no matter what even in the face of evil and injustice, and through his trust, through his obedience on the cross, we can be forgiven. I don't know where your relationship with God is. I don't know how you feel about opening up the Bible and reading it. What Jesus tells us is as we hear God's word, even if we we hear it's right, but we realize my life is wrong, it's a chance to go to God, ask for forgiveness, and, and be found pleasing to him have that relationship with him. God is speaking. He's speaking to us through all of creation, but especially in the gospel. Are you listening? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we pray that we would keep listening to you as you speak to us. Help us to keep responding to you in wonder to the world that you've made and the things that you've done in history that we might just be amazed at who you are. But Father, especially we pray that we would hear the rightness of your commands, that we would see the life of Jesus and see what true trust of you looks like. And it wouldn't drive us away. It would invite us to forgiveness in the cross of Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you want this relationship with us, that you have offered us this sort of love. We pray that we would keep as a church family hearing this word and living it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to sing.